We sang about freedom this morning, and one of the things that means is freedom in your heart, but also freedom in your body. And we've seen loads of people get healed, and we just love keep telling the story because that means more people are going to get healed. And it's happening on the streets, in healing rooms, Sunday mornings. It's just beautiful what God's doing. We just love it. Father, keep, keep, keep coming, keep happening amongst us. <clears throat> I heard about, and I've just ordered the book, really interesting things you start to discover as you get into this realm. Uh, kind of a bit of a forgotten uh, minister of Glasgow called Cameron Petty wrote a book called The Forgotten Talent. And he was around in the first half of the last century. And he had a, a very powerful healing ministry right here in Glasgow. And uh, he wrote a book, which, which I've now ordered, and he says that he had 100% success play, praying for people with arthritis. 100%. 100%. And I know, you know one or two of us have battled with that issue. 100%. He said the, the key to it is, I'm, I'm, I'll tell you more about this when I get the book. I've just talked to someone who's read the book. Uh, but my ears pricked up when I heard Scotland, the guy from Glasgow, I thought, this is, there's, there's some heritage here in this city of the power of God, and we need to plug into that and honor that. Uh, and he said that everybody he prayed for with arthritis got healed if they would persist. He said it, sometimes it took up to four months, but not longer, and he'd pray for them every week for four months. He said 100% success. The only ones that didn't succeed were the ones that just kind of got fed up of the process. And I just want to encourage this because it does get embarrassing when you just keep getting prayed for over and over and nothing happens. Is, is that not true? John, you, you experienced that with your knee. I don't know how many times we prayed for your knee. It was like endless. But then breakthrough happens. I just want to encourage some of you just kind of hanging in there. Maybe it's a bigger thing in your life. Let's keep going. You're going to see a breakthrough. Don't lose heart. God loves you and he wants to heal you. And uh, let's not give in to the disappointment thing that, that, that can take hold of us. All right. Well, that was just an amazing prophetic word, that dream about the walls. And now I'm thinking, God, you're preaching my message before I preach my message. So thanks, Hannah, for being faithful with that. That was just amazing. Uh, I want us to pray because this is... I've got three different titles for this message, uh, and hopefully we'll get, we'll get there. Um, ah, it's just one of those messages. So I advise you to pray a lot right now, because for me, because I need it, and for you, because if this goes wrong, you're going to need it. All right, it's just kind of... <laughs> we're kind of zooming off the map. Father, we just love what you're doing, and... Uh, yeah, Lord, just remember everybody who's preaching the gospel around this city today. Our friends in Whiteinch, we remember them. We remember the guys down in, in, in Vineyard. And we remember others, Lord, just faithfully preaching uh, uh, and gathering and winning people for you and praying for the sick. Thanks for all that they're doing uh, all across this city, Lord. We want massive blessing. We want a, a revival outbreak in our city, God. We love it. And we know you love it. And we know, just as Teresa prophesied, the mist of heaven is falling on Glasgow. Uh, and, and we can see more and more breakthroughs, uh, more and more of you prevalent in our streets, our offices, universities. And we pray for all the churches to get totally, totally thrilled with you 
in Jesus' name. And help us today too, Lord, P.S. Amen, help me. Um, God, please help everybody who's listening to me. Um, Okay, just uh, start with a Bible verse in Matthew 16. Very, very familiar. So, but please don't switch off just because you've read this a hundred times if you've been a Christian a while. Um, I'm hoping that what I'm going to say will take you somewhere on this scripture you've not been before. And for those of you who did faithfully upload our podcast and stuff, Take your pick. The easiest title is The Church's Heavenly Family, or you could go for The Church's Mums, Dads, Sons, Daughters Who Dream, or you could go for Freedom from Family and Breaking Ungodly Control. Take your pick. Somewhere in that mess of titles is what we're going to talk about today. So let's have a look at Matthew 16. Really famous uh, scripture. Uh, for anybody who's been around church any length of time, Jesus is having a discuss- verse 13 discussion with his disciples about his identity. And when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what, what about you? He says, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that it was the Christ. Are we okay with this? We've got a little slight. Okay. Do you want me to use the handheld? Hello. Thanks, Mark. That was very good. Oh, someone picked my pocket and the little tick's gone, isn't it? That's great. That was annoying me. Oh, no, it's back. Never mind. Is is that annoying everybody else? Okay, I'll carry on. When Jesus said, I will build my church, what was in his head? What comes into your head? My goodness got more power <laughs> when someone when you hear that phrase what do you think he's doing what, what's it going to look like is it you know glasgow cathedral that he's building or is the church that jesus building does it look like is the you know what's what's in his brain what's in his expectation what he's saying i'm going to build something to build something you need some kind of plan i know i used to years ago those you remember those airfix planes i don't know if you can still buy them you stick them together with glue and put uh, you know paint them and put things on and then you know well you, you need a plan otherwise you'd end up with you know you need the tail on the front and the propeller on the back you need a you know i will build my airfix kit according to a, something you've seen like the box or the plan yeah you don't go and build a house you think well what do we need for house we need windows bricks doors 
deliver them all. Hmm. Well, we'll have a wall there. If you do it that way, you have a mess. You just have walls and in random places and windows sticking out, and you just end up. Yeah? Nobody builds a house like that. So Jesus says, I'm going to build something. I'm going to build my church. What's in his head? So he's thinking, what we need is a world filled with things that look like Glasgow Cathedral. Or looks like what we are now. Maybe a little bit. But surely there's more than this. He's building to a higher plan than what we already see, I'm guessing. Otherwise, we're really stuck, aren't we? Do, do, do you understand what I'm saying? He's, see, he's saying something. Say, I'm going to build something. And I think only Jesus can build it because only he's seen it. He's got a plan. He's got a vision of something that he's going to do. And he's making his church look like something. And, and I think that he's making it look like what he already knew. So church... If we, it's really just about people. What it literally says, Jesus it says, I will build my congregation. So it's a bunch of people. It's a family. It's a gathering. It's people. Well, what's Jesus' pre-experience? What's his previous experience of community? Where did he come from? We sing it. He came from heaven to earth to show the way. Yeah. So he's been hanging out from eternity past in the Godhead, in heaven, angels, you know, fire, uh, wheels within wheels, eyes on wheels, people with four faces. He's been hanging out with that weird crew for eternity past. People bowing down, throwing their crowns, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's his idea of community. I will build my community. And actually he goes on to say, whatever you bind on earth we bound in heaven or whatever you bind on earth has already been banned. He's given him authority to bring heaven to earth because that's what he's planning to do. Hello? He even prays for it in John 17. He actually prays that we would experience relational unity with him and together just as deep and profound and strong as God himself experiences relational unity in the Trinity, in the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and that we would share in the glory of all of that. That's what he prays for us. That we'd be as one as they are one and that we'd experience the glory that they have right here. He's praying heaven to earth. He's saying, my church is going to look like heaven looks like. And he's preparing a bride that he's going to marry, which is the church that's going to be without spot or wrinkle. That's what it says in, in, in the book of Ephesians, that we're being, we're being prepared. And what I believe he's doing, he's doing something that we are without the blemishes of earth in order that we are fit to walk up the aisle of heaven. But the preparation is happening on the earth. He's making a bride that's fit for heavenly places, in actuality, in experience, and in the glory and demonstration of who she is. He's going to marry us. That's the end of the book. There's a marriage supper to this glorious bride that he's prepared. 
Jesus is fundamentally a man from heaven, implementing heaven's style of congregation, heaven's style of relationship, heaven's idea of glory, heaven's idea of family on the earth. Jesus came from family. He was the son and he had a father. And as the Puritans used to say, the Trinity is God in himself, his sweet society. It's a nice little phrase. I love that. God is in himself, sweet society. There is perfect unity, perfect harmony. Jesus is used to hanging out in an atmosphere that is incredible. An atmosphere of relational unity that was infused with a river of delights, with a dad who laughed at every problem, a dad who delighted in his son and delighted in everything he made, a dad who was secure and certain that all his plans would come to pass. So, you know, when Father, Son, and Holy Spirit sit down to dinner, Heavenly Father's not going, not sure how we're going to finance the building program. Oh, there's all these rebellious Israelites. What are we going to... He's got a plan. He knows. He's secure. He's not fretting. He's not anxious. That's the kind of dad that the son hung out with. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. We're so together that you can't put a cigarette paper between us. There's not a hair's breadth of difference. Is that better? It's a bit more, a bit more sort of in church, isn't it, language? <laughs> yeah, there's no roll-ups in heaven. <laughs> yeah, you're smoking something different up there, I tell you. <laughs> it's Holy Ghost intoxication. You don't need roll-ups. Ha! Ah. Ah. I'm just trying to paint something here. His, his, this family in heaven, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and they, they infinitely enjoy one another. They're not needy. They're not insecure. They're not fretful. They're not fearful. They're deeply satisfied in one another's love for one another. They're completely unified, and out of that spilled creation and you and me. And it just rolls on. And in fact, God's... A, God is such, God head is such a creative force in the universe that his, what he is and what emanates from him is in itself creative and, and never endingly reproductive. So the river that flowed out, that, that trees are red, the river that flows from the, the, the temple is, is how it's put, actually increases in depth, width, speed and force all on its own. And they've measured, I don't know how they did this, they measured the edge of the universe, scientists. They were trying to find out, is it shrinking or what's going on? Actually, they found, and they can't explain it, that the the, the perimeters of the universe is expanding at an accelerated pace. That's God, the infinite creator. Creation is still happening, so they can't explain it. Maybe they will one day, but they can't. So God said, let there be, and it's still happening. What God creates has the capacity to infinitely recreate and create and propagate and multiply and generate all of its own because that's the nature of God and that's what he creates. So there's this creative bonanza, celebration, family thing going on in heaven and Jesus says, 
okay, Father, we've got a bit of a disaster down on earth. I will go and fix it. And then he comes to earth and he says, what I'm, one of the things I'm here to do is I'm going to build my congregation. What's his plan? What's, he, what's his reference points? He didn't go to architect school. He didn't grow up you know, going to cathedral. He came with a heavenly idea that we're still trying to get. And, and the first thing... Ah. And he said he'd do it because he needs to keep tuning us into this because we want to make it earthly and get what we earthly understand and get him to fill it. What he wants to do is create something that is heavenly that is already full. So I think that's why in right back with Jacob, when he has that dream on the ladder, I preached about that some time ago, and he says, he wakes up, he's had the dream, he's had this encounter with God, he says, surely this is the house of God. And you think, there's no building, there's no people, there's no altar, there's no worship. All there is, is presence. Presence defines the house of God, presence creates the house of God, presence is first, not after. Whereas we tend to try and make a container that put it in, presence produces the container that it's in. It's heaven to earth. The angels are ascending and descending. The church is the doorway to the heavenly realms. Ah, Jesus said, I'm going to build something you've never seen before, but I've lived in it my whole eternal life. It's relational unity. It's family. It's glory. It's angels. That's what church is supposed to look like. The angels show up and go, oh, it's like, was it Rhoda at the door? Oh, it's only Peter's angel. We're so familiar with him. It's like, we don't even invite angels into the prayer meeting in that church. If you read Acts, I mean, what is that? You know, if we had an angel show up, we'd be like, get them in, let's ask them some questions. It's like, well, angels are boring. We had too many of them. Angels are normal because angels are normal in heaven. There's loads of them. Glory, manifest glory, you can see, feel, and touch is normal for the church because that's what heaven's like. That's what he's trying to build. Jesus come to build heaven on earth. He's come to establish a church that looks like what he knows. And what he wants to do is make it a beautiful bride. So he wants to make it more and more what he's familiar with because then he wants to marry it. He doesn't want it to look like what's down here because that's just not going to hack it in heaven. Do you know what I mean? A church that's built around the principles of how you do school doesn't thrill the heart of Jesus our lover. Yeah, so you know, how you build a school, both institutionally and structurally. Jesus isn't coming to marry a school. Hallelujah. See, all those who are just in school or just out of school are really delighted about that. Neither is Jesus coming to marry a business. Yeah, he's not coming to earth, getting us all to kind of make, I'm falling in love with a business. A business doesn't ravish the heart of God. He's not come to marry a prison. If you teach people that they're just sinners saved by grace, the church becomes a place which is a correctional facility. Ha. Huh. 
If all we are is a bunch of sinners, we have no inclination to do the right thing, only the wrong thing. What we need is a correctional facility where nobody's really trusted because nobody's really trustworthy because we're just all sinners still saved by grace. And the church starts to look like a bunch of rules and regulations with limited freedoms because you can't be trusted with freedom. He's not coming to marry a prison. He came from heaven to earth to a slightly depressed lot with a message that represented the world he came from, which is a world of infinite resources, infinite freedom, infinite glory, infinite creative ability, infinite love, infinite joy. I'm going to say it again. He came down from heaven to earth to a slightly depressed lot with a message and a life that represented the world he came from, a world of infinite possibilities, infinite freedom, infinite resources. Ha. Ah. He came to unhook us from the things that make us worry and the things that make us sad and the things that bind us and the things that hold us down and connect us to the infinite Father. So that we are dadded by him, so what we look like down here is like our dad up there. Hello? Not like the dad we had down here or the dad we didn't have down here. He came to restore intimacy with the Father. Ah. This is just the intro, by the way. (laughs) This has got to affect what actual church actually looks and feels like down here. Can't be institutional, can't be buildings, can't be organizational, can't be business model, can't be teaching model, can't be prison model. Has to be heaven model, which is why we need Jesus, because he's the only one who's been there. And he wants to show us what it looks like. That's why he says to Peter, I'm authorizing you to get involved in bringing this heavenly blueprint to earth. I'm giving you some keys. Because some things down here need binding that are bound up there and some things need loosing down here that are loosed up there so that we get things ordered the way it's supposed to be, the way I like it. So it looks like home. The relationships are like what we have up there and it's down here. He prayed for relational unity equivalent to and of the strength of what exists in the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He said, we can have it. If Jesus, whose prayers are most likely to be answered? Sunday school answer. Jesus. If God's going to answer anybody's prayers, who is he going to answer? Jesus. Jesus prayed for unity and glory between us. God's saying, I'm right on it, son. I thought that was exciting. (laughs) Okay, I've got, got kind of three points to help us. I want to talk about sonship, how it relates to churchmanship. Jesus said to the disciples, and I believe he says it to us, John 15, 15, I no longer call you servants. Because a servant doesn't know the master's business. Instead, I've called you slaves. <laughs> Grovel in the dirt before Almighty God, lest he smite you with a curse and burn you to a crisp. I think that's how some people read it. It's frying tonight. (laughs) Come to church 
and feel crap for the whole week. And if you feel really bad about how bad you've been, then you're a really good Christian. But no one else will want to come. You know, we have fun here, don't we? We clap and shout and cheer and... God, there's a... There's a prophetic word over this church that it's going to be so much fun here. People will rather come here than go to the pub. Yeah? So you're going to burn! (laughs) They're not going to come for burning. Not that kind of burning anyway. No, he didn't say any of that. He said, I don't call you servants, I call you friends. Shoot, man alive. Goodness gracious. Swear words even. That's amazing. Beep, beep, beep. You can't contain that. God's your mate. You are not a servant. Romans 8. We've we've preached on this a few times. God did not, you did not receive a spirit that makes you a what? A slave to fear. So we're not servants, we're not slaves. He received the spirit of adoption, is the correct translation. And by him we cry, Daddy God. Wow. Jesus said to the disciples, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. You know what? Orphans lack intimacy with their parents. If Jesus had gone away and ascended into heaven, which would be a mighty victory on its own, but not sent, the spirit of adoption, the Holy Spirit, we'd have still felt like orphans because God would be up there and we're down here. We would lack relational intimacy with the Father. Doesn't mean he's not real, doesn't mean he's not there, doesn't mean he's not powerful, but we would feel disconnected and orphan-like because our dad was away. So he sent the Holy Spirit that we could have relational connection to our Heavenly Father. We could feel the power and the affection of adoption of sons and daughters. Wow. So it's not an idea, it's a relational connection, being a son or a daughter of God. It's something you feel, it's something you know, it's something that impacts you, it's something that melts your heart, it's something that's like having a massive hug from a massive dad because that's who he is. Hey. So our dad is not absent, he's present. Hmm. It's such a heresy to imagine and even allow yourself to think of God on a throne who's distance, who kind of created everything, wound it all up and will kind of bring it all to conclusion and in between time we make the most of it and he listens to the occasional prayer if we're lucky. That is not the God we serve. He's intimately related to us as as, as a father, and he sent his very spirit, his innards, his inner workings to dwell in us and come on us and smother us and love us and win us and woo us and connect us to him as our beautiful, loving, heavenly father. And he calls us beautiful, he calls us trustworthy, he calls us precious, he calls us the apple of his eye, he calls us sons, he calls us daughters, and he wants you to know that echoing from the core of your being outwards. I believe we're caught up 
in something more than just people getting healed. It's great, and we're going to keep pressing in for that. But what God's doing is bigger than just a healing outpouring. I believe he's taking us another stage on in the journey of discovering what the church is like, the true identity of church. An apostolic move of God is in the earth that's changing the church so that the church can be glorious in this generation and reflect the Father heart of God, the family of God, and the glory of God right here on the earth. And the outcome of that will be we will naturally be reproductive infinitely because that's the nature of God. Ah, there's a new wineskin being created and that's happening to us that's subservient to the wine. We're not here to preserve a New Frontiers wineskin. We know how to do church. Well, maybe we know some things, but there's some things we don't know. And God keeps showing us new stuff. Heaven's government, the kingdom of heaven, is fundamentally relational. Jesus didn't hear barked orders from headquarters. Son, go heal that man. No, it says that he saw what the Father was doing. He was connected. He was relational. They had intimacy. They had joy. They had love for one another. Proverbs 23 says that a man thinks in his heart or thinks within himself, so he is. If you think yourself as just a humble servant or just a servant or a slave, then your expectations and your behavior will be shaped by that thought. If your identity as a Christian is fundamentally as a servant, you'll behave like one. And you can't build family with servants. I'm going to say that again. You can't build family with servants. Which is why it's so important that we find and get discovered by God and we move into a true sense of who we are as sons and daughters. Because Jesus is building a family and to build family, you need kids not servants. You can't build it. with. So you don't, don't get cohesion with servants. The trajectory of all servanthood is resentment of the master. So where do you get that from? Get it from the parable of the prodigal son. Remember the older son stays in the house and he gets the grump because the party's been thrown for the prodigals. Who, yeah? Gets real narc on. And uh, his dad comes to see him. Why don't you come in a party, son? He says, Listen, look, these many years I have served you and never disobeyed your command. He never gave me a party. See, he had a, although he was a son, he lived as a servant. His reference points were Look, dad, I've served you and I've always obeyed you. The outcome, if you do that for long enough, is you resent the master. You resent the father. He was in resentment. He wasn't in joy. He wasn't enjoying his inheritance. That's not family. That servant spirit causes distance between you and the father. Because you believe there is distance, you keep distance. If you don't believe deep down you're really, really wanted, you won't even try and make the effort to get closer because you don't want to be rejected. He had a wrong idea about the dad. This shouldn't be called the, the parable of the prodigal at all. That isn't even in the text. It's something that got added as a title later. It's a parable about the true heart of God and how men tend to respond to it. 
They either become religious and all servant or rebellious and go and spend their inheritance on other intimacies. So you can't have family that ends up in resentment. It doesn't work. You can't have family that's competitive. Servants think about obedience and service. And the church has taught for the longest time that we're here to obey, sacrifice, submit, and serve. And that humility, are the, they're the essential ingredients. They're the identity of a Christian. He is humble. He does serve. He is a servant. The trouble with servants, you don't have many op- Your options are limited. You either have to conform or rebel. You don't have any... And many, many Christians, in fact, the sort of people that get saved often are the ones that are happier to conform. Because the church is a place of conformity, sadly. Submit, don't rock the boat. Don't spill the apples out of the cart. Ah. Find out what's required. It makes low levels of initiative and creativity a virtue. And it makes for sh- shallow functional relationships that are about work, not about heart. Or you rebel. You're fed up of being told what to do. You're fed up of being restricted. You're fed up of lack of resources. So you go and do your own thing, but you're doing it still from the wrong spirit. You're still acting like an orphan. You're still coming out of poverty. So you just go and do controlling manipulating things with other people and have no cohesion because something relationally has not got sorted on the inside of you. So servants either conform or rebel and they compete for scarce resources. They are not inheritors. Sons and daughters inherit. They get it all. They get the whole farm, the whole ranch, the whole business, the whole thing. Daddy's business is our business. We know we're in. We get it all. There's nothing to fight over because we all get it all. That's what it goes on to say in Romans 8. We share in his inheritance. And you think, yes, but there's millions of us. Yeah, but we all get all of it. We have an infinite father. Ah, How big is infinite? Well, bigger than you can think. And enough to keep you busy for the rest of eternity. Ha, ha. Because you don't, you get a new body, but you don't become infinite. He's infinite, we're finite forever. Ha, that's important. Cohesion can't come from an orphan heart, from a servant-slave mentality, because it's not built in. It's not the culture that a servant lives in. Second point. Masters thrive when Christianity is servant-based. If you believe you're a servant, you need a leader who's your master. And I've often looked at this, why is there so much control and manipulation and heavy-handedness and directional leadership that flourishes in the church? I heard a guy from Texas uh, this week at prayer and fasting. He said this, he said, You can build a really big church in southern Texas if you know how to use guilt on people. Think about that. 
That is a scary statement. So what he's saying is where he lives, where he's grown up, where he's built his church, the context is you can have thousands. They are huge churches. What's the motivational button that's pressed to make that thing work? Is a guilt trip. If you're good at using guilt trips, you can build a big church. I don't think that's the church that Jesus said he was saying he was coming to build. But you can build it. It can look successful because it has lots of people in it. Hello? Masters thrive in Christianity when the Christianity we believe in is servant-based. If you think you're a servant, you need someone to tell you what to do. If you don't believe you can generate creative ideas, if you don't believe you've got initiative, if you don't believe you're trustworthy, if you don't believe you have resources, you need someone who has resources and ideas to tell you what to do and tell you what's right and what's wrong. So we promote people who are good at controlling us and bossing us around in a nicely way. Ha! Ah. But that's not family. That looks more like prison or business or social services or school. Do you, are you with me? Are you following the... So controlling leadership is both the fruit of servant mentality and the continuance of it. So it reinforces it. Because if, if, as a leader, my goal is to set the whole agenda and make sure we conform to some, my idea of what it is, then actually to have a bunch of people that are firing off with initiative and feeling powerful and going after their dreams and all that is a bit scary for me. So it's better to say, be humble, submit, serve. These are honorable and great qualities. So they're in the Bible. Come on, do this thing. Let your life be shaped by these values. Whatever you do, don't get all creative and free on me because I don't know what to do with that. You threaten my power base. It's outside my comfort zone. You look like something I don't understand. I understand a business model or a whatever it is. Hello? I did that bit. I'm happy. I'm going to finish the message, which is really good. Wow. Excuse me, just having talking to myself. Recap. Can't build family with servants. Servants need masters and we end up with church that's looking like not heaven not heaven freedom in heaven but there's so much love and connection there's not abuse of freedom you know Jesus was totally free he could have called all those angels to save him he had the power he had the authority but he didn't do it he was free, but he was bound by love to Father's purpose. But he was totally free. He wasn't confined. He wasn't locked up. God hadn't said, put a big sort of board up and nailed it and said, you can't come in here and get the angels. No, he could have done that. 
but he didn't because of love. God, that was a good point, not even in the notes. Wow. <laughs> Keep it coming, Lord. I'm liking this. <laughs> Leadership is too often there's only one way, and it's my way or the highway. And we defend it as necessary to keep unity of the spirit. What a load of... Insert your own unpleasant word. But it works like that. I've been there, man. I've done it and I've been done to. And I think it's got to stop. I want to repent. I don't want to do that to you guys. I want it his way, which is a highway. It's getting better, Lord. I like it when these things just keep happening. I can even give you a scripture for that one. Ha! Oh, we did the schools, prisons, businesses. But man, we're moving. We're moving forward. Remember we talked about schools and prisons. All human structures are built to cope with fallen humanity. They're not designed around a new created people. We're inclined to please God. We're not inclined to rebel. We don't need the same kind of structure because we're not the same kind of people. The nature of the people does create and does govern the kind of thing you build. And we're not that kind of people. You know, we don't need to be watched in case we kind of skive and swing the lead and text on company time or do Facebook on company time because that isn't our heart. Christians are born again. They're changed on the inside. Their inclination is to serve and love and please God because he's made them free and made them sons, forgiven all their sins and given them a whole new way of thinking and a whole way of being motivated. So all those structures and those ways of doing don't work for us because we're not that. church is full of transformed and being transformed people where God is vigorously at work he's the great conductor of our souls he's getting us to make sweet music and he does doesn't he? every Sunday we rock up here and I think what's the worship going to be like and something starts to break out you know what God's in control don't tell the band they think it's them No, they're smarter than that. Okay, final point. Sons are great, and so they have awesome dreams. So church is a place full of sons and daughters who are great and have amazing dreams. If you haven't got a dream, you're a servant. Servants, maybe they dream of getting free. (laughs) One day. I'll buy myself out of my drudgery, my slavery, my sons can have expansive, ridiculous, impossible, glorious dreams. It's a good way of knowing, have you got a dream? Have you got a compelling, delightful, exciting dream in your heart? See, it's not just enough for us as these to say, we release you, go do your thing. Because if your heart is still a servant heart, you're going to go and do your thing independently. Or you're going to go there, I don't know what my thing is. Nick's saying, go do your thing. You don't need to ask, go do it. You're going, I don't know what my thing is. I'm not even sure I've got a thing. 
I'm free. I'm free. Yeah, freedom reigns in this place. To do what? Freedom's great if you know who you are and what your thing is. But if you don't know who you are and you don't know what your thing is, it's scary. Oh, will somebody please tell me what to do in this church? No. Well, how do you get anything done? Not that way. Ah. Most people with a dream have to fight and scrap and break the mold to do it. We should be teaching you that's how you ought to be. The norm is to be mold breakers, spiritual revolutionaries. Not, well, this is how it's done in this church. And to make anything change, I'm going to have to fight the leaders. I'm going to have to subvert this and break through that and have endless patience and courage. And We should be saying, hey, guys, this is the place to be gloriously subversive in the right sense of that. Gloriously free to express the dream. I thought that was a really good point. I did that point already. Sons have rights. Come on, we have rights. We have authority to be sons and daughters. How about that? You believe in Jesus, you get rights. You're not subverted, you're not underneath, you're a son. You're, John 1, 12, I learned it when I became a Christian. If you believe in him, he gives you the right to be a child of God. How awesome is that? Ah! I get it all by right. I have authority to get all this stuff, to be this person. I have a thing. Have you got a thing? Time to find your thing. That's a shorter version of this message. It's title, isn't it? It's time to find your thing. It could be misinterpreted, so we won't go there. <laughs> you have rights. Oh. Do you know the point in the message where you look at the clock and think, I've got to land this whole thing in the next three minutes? Fasten your safety belts. So if you haven't been to this church before, I give kind of this running commentary on how my message is doing while I'm doing the message. It, pro- it probably doesn't help any of you. It just helps me fill out time while I figure out what I'm going to do for the last five minutes I've got. <laughs> I'm just rubbish at this, really. But here we go. Here you go. You ready, ready for this one? Humility, true humility, comes from greatness. Not get small, 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 small. They'll be so, so humble. No, get big. We've taught Philippians 2 wrong for centuries. You know the bit where it says that Jesus took on the form of a servant? You know that bit? He humbled himself. 
And, and it starts out with your attitude, all of you Christians, you should be like Jesus. And what Jesus did was he was found in appearance of man, he humbled himself, he made himself nothing, took on the nature of a servant, was made in new, a human likeness, submitted and humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And you're sitting there going, flipping out, this is a lot of humility and servitude and grinding myself into the dust and get smaller and smaller and smaller and then I might get a resurrection. So I'm just very humble. You're a very humble servant. This is Christianity. I'm your humble servant. I'm trying to be like Jesus. Go on, give me another nail. Couple more nails. Don't forget the feet. I want the whole servant sacrificial experience. Ha! Ha! Ah. <laughs> oh, don't get too big for your boots. Don't dream. Don't dream of taking over the world. That's getting beyond yourself. You might get proud. Don't dream of changing your environment. Don't dream of healing people. Don't dream of leading thousands to Christ. Don't dream of raising the dead or giving sight to the blind. Don't get above yourself. You might get disappointed. And after all, we're supposed to be humble. Another nail, another nail. Oh, a load of codswallop. Ah. That isn't what the passage says. But you just read it, it says that. I missed a bit out. Ha ha. Ha ha I've been doing it for years. See, leaders can cheat you, they don't know they're doing it. I mean, you missed a bet out. Yeah, because it never saw it. Didn't do it on purpose. I just didn't see it. And I'm sitting in my study and boom, think, goodness gracious. I mucked it up again. But at least I'm finding out. Shall I read you it properly? Yes. <laughs> you really sure about this? Yeah. This gets scarier. Right, this is... You all should be seriously worried right now. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. Okay, nailed on, happy with that? This is a bit I missed out. Who being in very nature. Ever so humble, small, and meek and low. No, it doesn't say that, does it? Come on, children, it doesn't say. (laughs) How can you humble yourself if you're already nothing? I'm looking over my glasses now. That's not humility, that's reality. Who, being in very nature, God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, etc., etc. Never did Jesus ever change his alignment with his true identity. (laughs) That's humility. You know you're great, but you're going to serve. 
You know you're a son or a daughter of the king of kings. You're a royalty, but you're serve. You lose nothing of your true identity by serving. And you demonstrate your true identity because that's true humility. Ha. Jesus never told the disciples, stop trying to be great. You know, they argued, who's the greatest, who's the greatest? He never said, don't talk about greatness, that's bad. Greatness is bad for you, stop talking about greatness. His answer wasn't, well, if you want to be great, then you need to be the servant of others. The nature of greatness is that you express it in servanthood. He didn't say, I oh, don't be great. He said, be great, and from greatness serve, which is what he did. Uh-huh. So he gets tempted. Doesn't he get tempted? What's he tempted about? If you're the son of God. Twice he says that, the devil. If you're the son, show him, prove it. Sons dream because they can. They're free, they have access to authority, they have access to resources, they have authority, they know who they are, they can go for it. And dreams give you access to heaven's resources. And that's for another time. Let's pray. Oh, help. Can we have the band back, please? I want to sing Freedom Reigns in this place. That was just so anointed to sing that all day. What? We are praying, by the way. It just looks different because we're free. We don't all have to go. Are you praying? Yeah. I'm praying all the time. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be abundantly satisfied with our humble sacrifice this morning. As we, your humble servants, grovel ever so humbly at your feet. Please hear our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. (laughs) Okay, now Johnny's going to release us from a religious spirit that I just prayed over us. Ha! (laughs) Father, you love us. You love all your people. And and listen, we don't want to not anybody here this is not about that this is about coming into an understanding of who we are and what God is seeking to build in the earth as he loves all his kids and we just love what he's doing in so many different places but God I pray that you would break off us a poverty spirit break off us a sense of of being orphans, break off us a sense of just being in servitude, being servants. You said you no longer call us servants. It's not our identity anymore. Lord, let us get rid of all the things that we live like because we think we are servants and let us see the church you're building. Only you can build it because only you've seen it. (laughs) And it's amazing. Can we just sing that song, guys? Let's just... Worship him and then we'll we'll close.